0: Hello, and welcome to Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me
1: is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello Joanne and good evening everyone and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens which are sustainable and low maintenance and we want to help you make it happen. That's right and tonight as we
0: continue February's theme of houseplants, On this Valentine's Day evening, we're joined by author Marianne Wilburn to discuss her new book, Tropical Plants and How to Love Them. So if you have a question for Marianne about her book, send send questions to instudio101 at gmail.com.
1: And just before we welcome Mary Ann to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Mary Ann. Mary Ann Wilburn is a garden columnist, speaker, and author of Big Dreams, Small Garden. A writer at Garden Rant and a regular contributor to Better Homes and Gardens, The American Gardener, and other national gardening blogs and magazines, Mary Ann has also been a mid Atlantic newspaper columnist for over a decade and is the recipient of several silver and gold media awards from Garden Communicators International from, for her column. She gardens in a rural corner of Northern Virginia, working with an ever-evolving mixture of tropical, temperate, and native plants, and shares her gardening life each week on www.smalltowngardener.com. Welcome to the show, Marianne.
2: Thank you, Matthew. It's great to be with you. Thanks a lot. It's good to good to meet you
0: both. Oh, great. Well, we're excited to talk tropical plants and and we dedicate a whole month to houseplants. But this is exciting because now we get to talk about uh, tropical plants being used outside, right?
2: Yes, and I love the fact that this is actually going to be on Valentine's Day. That just makes me giggle. (laughs) It's about loving those tropical plants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, so why don't we start um div- about defining tropical plants what what makes a plant tropical or not tropical just for,
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, the book is titled Tropical Plants and How to Love Them. However, it really should be tropical and subtropical plants and how to love them. But, you know, there's only so much you can put on a book cover <laughs> because a, a lot of the plants that we use are actually subtropical plants. And these plants uh, come from those regions of our, our uh globe of our planet that are in our the tropical regions that's on both sides of the equator and it's around and you're going to about 23 degrees on both sides of the equator they're native to that region subtropical plants are native to anything up to about 35 and we are um, as temperate gardeners about 35 to 50 and that and then that's that you know, so it's all—it's um, all a question of where these plants are native to, and uh, that's all the way around the globe, not just in one country or another country. But the tropical plants—they have. Uh, the same sort of day length, Uh, they, there are tropical plants that have more moisture in their, in their area because of prevailing winds and weather patterns and elevation and that type of thing, but overall they have a, a pretty steady life of even, even day, um, and night times, uh, even temperatures. Subtropical plants have much, I wouldn't wanna say much more variation, but they have more variation in uh, day length, in seasonal changes. They also can occasionally suffer from frost. Uh, the, whereas tropical plants do not, uh, as we're seeing in Texas for right now, <laughs> you know, they're going, wait a minute, we're subtropical here. Um, so those plants we tend to work with as temperate gardeners a lot more even because they give us a little bit more flexibility, uh, too. And they want many of them want to have a dormancy period, if not full dormancy, then partial dormancy. So um Uh, We work with all of those things and bringing them into a temperate uh, climate has its challenges, but it's, uh, it's, it can be exciting and it's different and as temperate gardeners, we have so much more ability to work with both types of plants, uh, because we can build the heat, uh, even artificially and put those, those plants in whereas it's really difficult to grow a lilac in Florida in fact, it's pretty much impossible. So um, so we, we actually get to have the best of both worlds in temperate climates.
0: Ooh, that, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: Yes. So in your book, um, you have this relationship, these relationship categories with us and our tropical and uh, subtropical plants. Can you speak to the different relationships?
2: Yes, absolutely. This it sounds gimmicky. I know that. But it isn't. It actually allows people to categorize these plants and keep them to memory in terms of how they're stored and how we use them. Um, And it started out from talks that I was giving to people on the tropical and subtropical plants that I grew. And I would see in people's eyes sort of understanding, oh, wait a minute, you mean I don't have to bring that banana into my living room over the winter, I can put it into storage, into dormant storage, and I don't have to have lights on it. Or wait a minute, you mean that can go into my cold garage with just a bulb over it, but it's 50 degrees and it's fine. You know, whereas people would think, oh, I've got to bring these all of them just into my house and live with them. So that's why I recategorize, I sort of categorize these plants into these relationship categories. And the very first one uh, is our summer romances. And those are just as they sound. Those are the plants that we uh, buy in a moment's Uh, excitement and passion (laughs) and they stay with us all season long all that growing season until we can't have any more fun with them and then we say okay it's done it's over um, and maybe next year but I'm not storing you and off to the compost with you and that is okay because (laughs) plants die and it's okay and we do that with so many other plants in our Mm -hmm. lives it's okay to do that with some tropicals so that's our summer romance plants our our best friend plants are those plants and I call them best friends because they they give us so much in the garden uh just that they give us so much architecture color form shape um and then we can and and they ask for so little in terms of storage uh, in the winter, so we can put those into a dormant storage. These are things like dahlias, cannas, gingers, bananas, um, dioscoria, uh, Ruellia. Those type of plants you can put these into storage, and they don't need to have light on them. They just need to be kept above freezing, and that is the that's anywhere between let's say. 35 and 45 Fahrenheit, about two to seven um, uh, Celsius, and and they're fine. You check on them, make sure they're not desiccated, make sure they're not too wet. And in the springtime, you start to pot them back up, build up heat, get them into a cold frame, and then get them back out in the garden. And those are best friend plants. Uh, our long-term commitment plants are just as they sound. Those are the, mm-hmm. those wonderful plants. I've got a philodendron sitting right next to me here. Mm-hmm. These strong, yes, beautiful, um, strong, beautiful uh, plants that have somehow adapted to the dry conditions of our houses in the winter. And they do well. Uh, We're not uh, showing pity on them by keeping them in our house. They actually add to our decor, the Scheffleras, the Dracaenas, uh, the Sansevierias. Um, And I'm talking in Latin. I can also talk in common (laughs) names, too. Um, Those are the snake plants and um, the umbrella plants, uh, that type of thing, and the philodendron. Um, And those plants are houseplants, but they can be outdoors plants too. And I, this is a real revelation for people that you can take those houseplants and they can live outside and they can make your outside space look amazing too and do fun things. Like you can have dracaena coming up from a big bed of ferns because you just plunge that pot into those ferns. And then in the fall, you take that up and you put it in your house and it makes a corner come alive. So that's why they're called long-term commitments because they're just... They're with us. They're with us until we, we say no or they say no at some point. Our <laughs> high-maintenance partners are exactly as they sound. <laughs> those, those, those are those, those beautiful, fantastic, you know, just, oh, my goodness, they get the juices flowing. You want to get your hands on them. And, and then they ask a lot. And, and you know what? You're okay with it for a while right? Just like behind maintenance partners in real life. You're like, yeah, this is okay. All right. Okay. Because I'm really in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, yeah, I'm so done this is, I can't can't do this anymore. I'm the spider mite, the this, the that. You don't even look good in this place in the (laughs) corner anymore. Um, These are the house, we bring them into the house, we give them special care and and perhaps they don't look so great. Uh, So we want to keep them in a back corner. So we have those until we're finally finished uh, with them. And that's why I call them the high maintenance partners. Um, and the, you know, those are not bad plants. They're fabulous plants. and they teach us, they teach us a great deal about how to control humidity and and, and how to balance temperature with heat uh, temperature with light and temperature with water and you know all of those things that they actually make us better gardeners so everybody should have one or two of those in our lives even if you have to keep them in a corner over the winter Uh, and uh, and uh, you know put it uh, an area where people can't see them. but and then my last category is one that's that's just for fun and that's uh friends with benefits and those are the tropical and the subtropical plants that we can eat uh, Mm. that that make wonderful additions to some of our favorite dishes and that's everything from uh, a macrute lime you know the leaves on a macruit lime that go to flavor a curry uh, to, uh, ginger. Uh, I love to grow regular grocery store ginger because I can only get it to a certain point by the end of my season in terms of how, how mature that bulb is, but it's at the perfect point to be able to slice it thinly and pickle it to make, um, the sushi, sushi ginger that I adore the pickled ginger that mm-hmm. you put on there that's young ginger and you can't really find it in the markets um, but you can find it you know already pickled but I can make it fresh so it's things like that that's what's in friends with benefits and that's just a little bit extra to, to have fun with. So that gives you a good enough, does that give you a good rundown, Matthew?
1: <laughs> That's a great rundown. And and honestly, after a, like hearing you talk about them and describe them and reading it in, in your book, and you go into great detail, uh, you have sections for each of those relationships which go into great detail about them. It really makes me think about houseplants in a, a completely different way. Just like you had said before, I think we were talking before the show, just we like to carve compartmentalize things as we kind of categorize things in our brain Um, and yeah that gives you just a whole new perspective on on how your what your relationship is with them and and how to use them and and yeah it's very interesting in depth too
2: it's important also to say that these are my guidelines Mm -hmm. for readers Hmm. this is not putting this down in stone (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. so for, for one person's long-term commitment might be, or say a high maintenance partner, maybe another very, very skilled gardener's long-term commitment mm-hmm. who has learned to treat that plant so fabulously and so perfectly that it looks like a, a million bucks in their living room, but it, you know, it, it's, it takes care. So these things are, are, you know, they're fairly, um, they're, they're somewhat fluid yeah, and that they right. and they also change depending on what's going on in your life. So I may take in a hundred cannas every year. I don't take in that many, but it feels <laughs> like it by the springtime. Um, I may take those in and then one fall, I have an a incredibly busy fall and I've got to treat them all like summer romances and say, you know what? I can't dig them this mm. year or I can only dig two or three so again it's fluid it depends on and, and it depends also if you like a plant or not you yes. may suddenly decide you know what I I, meh. I, I don't meh, meh.
0: You know, Yeah. Um, Is it or, worth the effort, right? Like, yeah, at some point you're like, you know, depending on how much you love it, just like our outdoor plants, right? Gardeners uh, are yeah. always digging out plants that they kind of were like, oh, now you're three years in. I'm like, oh, you know, this Majelia can go, that type of thing, you know. Um Agreed. And mm-hmm. they depend
2: on us. These tropical plants and, and subtropical plants do depend on us a great deal more than maybe that Wygela So you know, it, it, the, the decision is maybe a little easier to make, like, I just don't want to go to that trouble this year. And so I think if people can continue to, to see them that way, that it doesn't always have to be the same year to year, they're mm-hmm. much more likely to use the plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that again, is the reason for the categories, because I want people to experiment, I want people to dabble and I don't want them to feel like I'm buying this. And now you and I are locked in wedded bliss for the rest of our <laughs> lives. And, and I hate you. And, and I don't want to deal with you anymore. Anyway. I don't want people to, th- to feel like that about a plant. I want them to, to keep it, you know, keep it fun.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Go ahead. No, I just was saying it. also, you've caught me thinking outside the box because as we were talking about before the show, um, I love house plants and tropical plants, and I but I've always just used them in containers. And then I have experimented with bringing them in the house or uh, p- putting them in the garage. But it kind of reading the book, it kind of was like this, you know, like wow, of like putting them in the gardens. And because so many house plants are so really interesting and in architectural or tropical plants, I want to specify that. Um, so putting it in, you know, I, so I love that part of the book, and I love that um, it's helping me think outside the box. Well, I, I, I want I, that actually makes me want to go into
2: a little bit about that idea of using those houseplants um, in the garden, because uh, it as they are already in containers, it do, it can make them very easy if you're plunging them into certain parts of your garden, like I said, with the Dracaena going into a bed of ferns and creating something really exciting. But we do have to be very careful when we're making those transitions, both outside and back inside. And the transition outside is, most of it is about sunlight okay. and how sunburnt a plant can get in 24 hours and Mm. you know and some of these plants have leaves that take a long time to unfurl that are pretty sturdy and it can take them a very long time to get over a a a serious sun scald almost all seasons sometimes it can kill the plant so we need to be really really careful when we're bringing them out so what i advise people to do is when it is definitely warm enough, when your temperatures are not going down uh, below fifty at night, about ten centigrade or Celsius, um, that is. Then you can start thinking about bringing them out, bringing them into a sheltered location that does not get direct sun. And I put them. I put all of mine together: long-term commitments, high-maintenance partners, etc., all together in an area that is very shaded it's near the hose so i can start you know ramping up the the hydration that they're getting they're getting warmer because you know the obviously the air is warmer they're getting used to that nighttime temperature but they're not having to deal with that direct sunlight um and then i slowly move them over to some area they get a little bit of early morning sun which is absolutely perfect and then i move them over into very slowly into um a, a little bit more direct sun. Some of these house plants, they are absolutely equipped to be in a shady patio, or you know, like a little nook in you know that difficult place that it's hard to put all of those sun-loving annuals. Your house plants might really love that because it does usually get some ambient light. Um, but some of these plants. Are made for the sun and are happy to get into the sun. They just have to do it a little bit slowly. I would do it over a couple week period. Mm. Um, don't move too fast; you will regret it. Um, and mm. whether that's your pepper, your prized peperomia, <laughs> or your your super tall prized ficus lyrata, you you can you can cause some serious harm if you don't move slowly.
1: As you mentioned, putting them out into that lower light to sh- full shade kind of area, how long are we leaving them in those conditions before those leaves adapt and we can move them out into like possibly higher light locations?
2: Yeah, it's it's actually shorter than you'd think. Um, usually I'm doing this over a two-week period. I'm sort of, I've got two different um, uh, areas where um, I'm, I've got one that's, it's not deep shade. It's like I said, it gets some early morning sun and that's where mm-hmm. they start out, but it's dappled shade from, from trees above otherwise during the day. And then they go over into an area on my deck that gets, um, that first full part of the morning sun all the way up until about 12 until the the sun starts getting hotter. And they sit there for about a week and then I can move them in to other areas. But if we tend to have a, if we have a hot spell around that time, like a, a, a heat, a real heat wave, um, I will still go out there with a sheet on a couple of my big guys, like my fiddle leaf fig, my my uh, big schefflera, um, umbrella plant, and I'll throw a sheet over the top of them at around one o'clock in the afternoon mm. for a couple days. Okay, you know, just to you know, you're it, it's not a lot more than you're doing for other plants that you're. That you're bringing outside yeah. you know that you're, you're you're basically hardening them off that's mm-hmm. what you're doing just as you would with small vegetables
1: yeah and you as you say sheet you're just thinking like are you thinking something thick like a towel or just thin no, like I, a like a bed sheet just to break yeah. the sun kind of thing okay that's exactly and right that's very a, much and a,
2: and a fitted sheet is the best because it just you know
0: it goes over oh, yes. the top of them and it clings to them right so it's the best. <laughs> Except when you have to refold the fitted sheet, but you know, that's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. That's a Martha Stewart YouTube video. That, right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, well, and we and you know, we have equal things on the other side too bringing them back in. And I don't know do you, or bringing them back into the house. Do you want to go through that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say so we we've, we've kind of taken them out in their stages to take them out. What about bringing them back in in the for the winter?
2: Yeah, because this is one of the this is one of the places that people um, also mess up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's because they look so great out there and say so you've got this this deck that's filled with all of your beautiful house plants and you've got other plants out there too and the the real heat of the summer is over and you're just enjoying yourself and your friends out on the deck and everything looks beautiful and it's getting cooler at night and that's sort of fun and you bring out the chimney and now you're having fires well even though your plants are coping um with this they are there. You know, the nights are getting cooler, and they are starting to shut down a lot of processes. Their their metabolism is changing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so, ironically, even though it's beautiful and you want people out there, that's the time that you really need to ha- be bringing them inside. Yeah. Before, you know, you can't be doing this like, oh, there's a hard freeze tonight. <laughs> Let's get all <laughs> these guys in. Now we all do that. Yeah. I do it. You know, there's yeah. always. You know, maya culpa. Um, but ideally, if you don't want the plant to drop a lot of leaves when it comes in, and you want it to be a smooth, easy transition that really takes advantage of how beautiful that plant has grown over the season, then it makes much more sense to when the temperatures are starting to mirror the temperatures that are in your house, so that you know. And again, oh, okay. you're not dropping back down into the four, the high forties, a lot of those plants can totally cope with it. But mm-hmm. you want to bring them in, you want to make that transition like it's almost a no transition for them. Oh, that's a good um, way and, to and look that, at it. Yeah. That just makes it that just makes it easier for yeah. them. And then again, you're taking advantage of all that that beauty during the season. Because that was something that I wanted to mention was that we bring them outside, not just because we're cheap and we need to fill space with plants. Then that could be one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but because they respond so beautifully to those summer temperatures, to that extra hydration, to the extra fertilization that we often give mm. them. Um, to uh, the to so a lot of plants that are variegated just come alive with the color. Yes. Well, you know when that sun is on them, um, and uh, like uh, pepperoni is really strong in my head for that. I had this little pepperoni uh, for. Oh I don't know 3 4 years in the house looking fine but nothing to write home about and I finally took it outside one summer and it just came alive it hadn't looked that good since I brought it home that first oh, day it had just wow. slowly lost its a lot of its color mm-hmm. and you know so that's why we're taking them outside we are giving them a summer vacation they need it we need a <laughs> And, um, it gives you a chance to clean house, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be able to, uh, to, to dust underneath those saucers. And- yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> now, a uh, question, do you always keep them in the pot? Like, is there ever a situation where you take them out of their pot and put them in the garden? Yeah, um,
2: absolutely. Uh, I'd like to, if I can, now if we're talking about the long-term commitments, the house plants, um, I like to do my repotting in the early spring um, and keep them in whatever pot they're going to, they're going to come back into the house. in. and if I need to, you know, pop that pot up, I like to do that in the spring. You can do it in the fall, but again, we're trying to give them their best chance of success and messing with the roots in the fall, just before Mm -hmm. they come back in, it's already traumatic. You're making it more traumatic. Like, like I said, you can do it. Mm -hmm. I've got a big Sheffler up right now. That's you know, lost a few leaves, but it's alive and happy. Um, but uh, I, I, I do that in the spring. Now, if I'm putting them into garden beds, a lot of times what I do is I just plunge the pot into a dug hole for okay. it. Um, that stabilizes it. Um, it's hidden by other foliage around it, and it makes it super easy to pop it up and put it into, into the house. Um, Sometimes I will take them out of their pots uh, and, but that mostly has to do when I'm creating combinations. I do this a lot with snake plant, with Sansevieria. I love those vertical accents. I love Mm -hmm. them so much more than Mm cordialini, you know, the ubiquitous cordelini. Yeah. um, thriller and a, a, you know, that everybody has. Yes. I love Sansevieria. It is, and there's so many colors. And so I can pick up on the grays in a pot, or I can pick mm-hmm. up on the yellows in a pot. Yeah. But so, and it is so forgiving that I can take a big chunk of it and just put it into a pot like I would any other, you know, uh, any other, uh, Plant combination and it does great. And then in the fall, I can pull it out, stick it in another pot, and it'll be just fine to come back oh, into the good. house. Okay. So yeah, yes, I, I absolutely do that. And of course, I I very much do it with the bigger,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: the bigger plants that go into cold storage.
0: Okay. It's great. Yeah, it's a good idea. I can see that. And I also I was one thing that struck me is that with the economies these days and housing, there's a lot of Uh, And I see it a lot of the Facebook groups, right? There's a lot of people who love plants, but they're renters. And, you know, and the thought of leaving their plant, like spending money, they want a gorgeous garden, but then leaving it behind. And I know they're, you know, and there's been some landscape designers in, in the summer where that they, you know, built these beautiful gardens and then needed to, you know, the homeowner was selling the house and they needed to leave. So I think, you know, this is great for people to really think about that, that you can have the best of both worlds. And that when it does come time for you to move, it's much easier to take your plants with you. And, uh, you know, because they're the, you know, the indoor and outdoor plants. So I, I just, yeah, I think that's great. And it's a good thing for people to know that you can really invest in some really interesting pieces for your for your home and your yard that, you know, you can, quote unquote, easy, easily take with you.
2: Yeah. That, yeah, that's actually a caveat, right, Joanne? Yes. Uh, easily with a dolly
0: and four yeah. men. Okay. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. but easier than a Japanese maple, right? Or easier oh. than, you know, like easier than, uh, you know, those, you know, I mean, you think of the poppies or the peonies, you know, that often peonies are asked of us because, you know, they tend to be passed down in families, right? So that tends to be a prize plant in, in many people's gardens. You know, this was my grandmother's, oh, no, we're moving in November and my grandmother's peonies. Like, what do I do? You know? So, uh, yeah, Yeah, No,
2: these are, are you there's a lot, these plants give you a lot of flexibility and having rented for a very long time Mm -hmm. myself. Um, I understand that feeling. And, and actually I, I go into it in my book, big dreams, small garden, the book I wrote before this one about, uh, those, those challenges that you have when you're renting, uh, and you're right these plants fulfill both those things they can make the inside of your house which can be a little drab and maybe you don't want to put all of that money into fixing up somebody else's house Mm -hmm. Um, but with some really beautiful specimen plants you can do some miraculous things inside and outside
0: yeah
1: that's great so in the book, just speaking about people, you know, new homes and new people getting excited, these new plant parents, you have in your book a message to frugal gardeners. <laughs> what, what was it, What's your message to frugal gardeners?
2: Well, um, first off, I'm frugal myself. Um, and that's really important because I think a lot of times readers uh, of a book will go, okay, this is all well and good, but... This is how I feel about it, and I yeah. and I and I want people to understand two things about about this book from the beginning. A, I am a cheapskate. <laughs> I always have been. Okay, so I'm approaching it from that way, and and two, I didn't start out adoring tropical plants mm. the way that I love them now. Um, I didn't start out obsessed with them in special Facebook groups, obsessed by them um, in, in dark corners of plant society meetings, talking <laughs> about them. Um, I was sort of, um, I don't want to say meh about them, but this had a lot to do with what was available to us as, as a temper gardener. And you'd see sort of a ratty looking canna three mm-hmm. or four canas, especially the tropicana cannas which were really big for a little bit mm-hmm. and they're the people who are the nursery usually the big boxes aren't really taking care of them so that they mm-hmm. look dry and yeah you know, you know how that goes mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so you think well why would i want that in my garden um, you know what? And, and that was my real thought process. And then I was fortunate enough, uh, d- being down in, in North Carolina with some friends to, to see a few gardens that were incorporating tropical accents in their temperate gardens. Because the other issue with, with tropical plants that most people think about is, well, I don't want a tropical garden. A, mm-hmm. I don't want all that work.
1: Mm-hmm. B, it's
2: all nice in Jurassic Park, but that's not really the way that I want it. Yeah. To yeah. Um, and what I advocate for and what I fell in love with was the idea of fusing these two mm-hmm. gardens. The, the, the temperate garden is your overwhelming theme the tropical accent is your punch. It's mm-hmm. your excitement. It's your um, surprise, you know, at the end of a, of a long walk or in a little corner. Uh, it doesn't have to be the whole thing. And so once I started thinking about it that way, I was absolutely hooked. Um, because there is nothing more fun than having a non-gardener come into your gardener <laughs> garden and be going through it, and they're like, "La la la, this is all nice, haha." And then, is that a banana? Uh-huh. That's banana, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Can we grow bananas? You know? And they're like, "Yeah." Now let's talk about our garden. Now yes. that you know, you've seen this banana. Um, so th- those are the two places I want people to know that I come from. Um, that I, you know, I really look askance at tropical plants, and so this is written with all you cynics and and skeptics in mind. Um, and I also don't like to spend huge amounts of money on plants. I certainly, when a plant is really worthwhile, I will certainly save up um, and and get it. But I use a lot of cuttings. Um, I like to do a lot of my own propagation. I grow a lot of things from seeds, but I I grow a lot of tropical plants and subtropical plants from seeds. One of the biggest bangs for your buck you can get as a frugal gardener um, is to grow a castor bean, ricinus, which is an incredible plant, texture, Mm -hmm. color, statement making. Now I will put a caveat in there. It is a poisonous plant. All yeah. parts of it are poisonous, but there are other parts. There are other plants in our gardens, which are just as poisonous, i.e. foxglove. Right. Know, mm-hmm. very poisonous, right. Monkhood. So yeah. Um, so it's important to have that in mind, but there, that's just one thing that you can grow from seed. Um, and I, I tend to put in little seeds and I have a, a long list in the book of tropical plants that you can grow from seed um, that, that are fantastic. Um, you want to be giving them a lot of warmth, usually, usually much more warmth and germination than you normally do. Um, and keeping them moist and, and and uh, and you're good to go. And they they boy they take off. So you got to stay on top of that that uh, potting up, potting up, potting up, and getting them <laughs> outside. But yes, that's that's a good thing for frugal gardeners. And um, because so many of these can be stored without too much trouble, like you don't have to have an expensive greenhouse to do this. You can use a corner of your dirt basement which I did for many years, because I didn't have a garage. I didn't even have a, a proper floor in my basement. It was, you know, it's an, it was an 1890s house. Um, mm. So they were Ooh. shoved way, way back in a deep dark <laughs> corner in bags. Um, so you don't have to have all the, the, all the things that you think you might need to have. And if you get more obsessed, by all means, I have just for the first time in my Uh, 25 years of gardening bought a greenhouse so that's that's an undiscovered country for this gardener and (laughs) I'll be I'll be trying to work with that next year and I I have a feeling I'll probably be going back to some of my own methods when I get (laughs) up with with sizzling my plants to death you know but but yeah you, you you can do this as a frugal gardener
1: yeah absolutely you can exciting Very nice. I'm going to jump in just as we get halfway through the show. We're passing by there. I'm just going to say uh, thank you, everyone, for who's tuning in live this uh, Valentine's Day evening uh, to us here on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests like Marianne Wilburn, who join us here on the show. Don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at down the garden path podcast. You can find us also on all of your favorite podcast providers, lots of past episodes and great topics. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified, of new content, and please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. You can always write us, or you can also write our wonderful guest this evening, Marianne Wilburn, here at instudio101 at gmail.com, as you probably all have heard. Or if you're just joining us later in the show, we are doing a pre-record this Valentine's Day evening, and uh, we will forward all of our mail. Our wonderful producer, Gary, gives us all of our mail, and we will make sure that Marianne gets your questions, and uh, we all get back to you regarding your questions on tonight's wonderful topic you can also find joanne and i at uh online you can find joanne at ww down the number to earth.ca and you can find myself at naturalaffinity.ca. Excellent. thank you, Matt.
0: We love our uh, our little uh, mini commercial for ourselves, right? <laughs> everybody know how to find us. And we will have all of uh, Marianne's contact information in our show notes as well for you. Um, so Marianne, one of the I wanted to talk a little bit about, Uh, You know, you mentioned about bringing them in and where they should go when when we bring the house plants or the tropical plants in. Um, But sometimes it doesn't go as smooth, right? Sometimes there are or people are afraid of it because what happens if there is an issue with insects and and disease, that type of thing. And I know in Canada, we have limited resources. There's a little bit more um, control over the insecticides or pesticides that we could use. Um, but you highlight a few of those, you know, options as well, right? Some IPM structure, you know, some advice that you have in your book. So, did you want to, you know, cover some of the the ones that uh, that you maybe experienced or that you know are more common?
2: Yes, absolutely. In fact, I uh, I go into pretty. A great detail about using horticultural soap and horticultural oil in the mm-hmm. treatment of plants. Um, I don't really go into chemicals too much, uh, besides just to say if it gets really, really, really bad, you know, you can look down at other options. But really, I am a user of hort soap and hort oil, and my um, my mantra on this is really don't let it get bad always be checking those plants. And that goes back to what I had forgotten to talk about uh, with bringing them back inside is, you know, paying attention to those temperatures, but a couple weeks before you're thinking, you know, they're probably going to need to come back in in a couple weeks. Uh, For me, that's, that's usually sort of realistically beginning mid of mid september i'm thinking okay. they're going to mm-hmm. need to be in you know mm-hmm. by the third week of september if i'm doing it right and so a couple weeks before that i check the plants that are going to be coming in check them all over for pests and see what we're dealing with. Um, I treat them at that time and I treat them with Hort soap and and uh, with a spray of Hort oil too, because it's so easy when they're outside, you know, we can be sitting there getting all soaked up together and, and (laughs) uh, there's no, you know, there's no furniture to ruin or floors to ruin. It's really easy. I've got the hose. So I do that a couple weeks before and then I do it a week before again is there still, you know because some of these things are hiding and and then if i've still got a real problem and it's and i need to bring them in usually i don't Mm. you know like i i remember one ficus that i had uh, that had a black um scale on it that i had never seen before that was very very large scale and i had brought this plant in it had been given to me by somebody who should know better Uh. (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna mention any names um but i had been battling this scale and i could not get rid of it and i Mm -hmm. even bare-rooted the plant Put it back oh. in fresh soil and I still couldn't get rid of it you know it would come back so this is where that checking on it checking on it mm-hmm. i had been aware of the problem all season right. and um, that those last couple weeks before I brought it in I thought you know what right now it is on this plant but I have a, ch- and, and I can't see it right now but it keeps coming back and if I bring it in inside I'm going to put it on every plant that, mm. you know, that like is, is one of the menu items for scale. So, so I didn't bring it in. I mean, those are choices, choices yeah. to be made. That's, that's pretty rare though. Um, if I have a very bad mealybug bug problem on a plant, I will really think hard
1: mm. about
2: whether or not that plant needs to come back inside. Yeah. You know, is it much more like, say it's a, um, uh, an, an alocasia and alocasias are an elephant ear that if they're given their druthers they would rather stay uh, in the green they would ra- rather come into the house and be treated like a house plant um, they, they may mm-hmm. or may not be as attractive as you would like them to be um, but unlike colocasia which goes fully dormant uh, easily alocasia you really have to fight and say no you are going to bed go to bed <laughs> you know? um, So if I brought an alocasia in and it had some mealy bug on it and I couldn't get rid of that mealy bug, that has a potential for getting worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so it would make much more sense to completely cut it back, force it into dormancy um, and, and, you know, change the soil and and do all of those things, but don't bring that inside. Um, So it's just something that you really need to be very aware of during your season, how your plants are progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I, I say, it in the book, talking about, you know, uh, dealing with the Schefflera in February, uh, with scale, don't let it get that bad mm-hmm. so that you're, you know, so that you touch the, you touch your sofa and it's sticky. Yeah. Uh-oh. Now yeah. that's odd. Mm-hmm. Now why is that? <laughs> That's because you haven't been putting your reading glasses
0: on and looking at your plants. Maybe. That's right. <laughs> that is uh, right. So
2: it, just staying on top of it, I think, is, is really the best thing. And, and if you've, after a few years of experience with plants, um, going down this gardening uh, path
1: mm-hmm. long
2: enough, you start to have a good idea of what could continue to be a bad problem. Aphids, you, you'll probably be able to cope with real, you know, very yeah. easily. Mealybug. bug. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have a little bit more trouble on an organic level.
0: Yeah, um, it yeah. looks so innocuous, doesn't it? Like in a way, I mean, I've struggled with it. I had a, I bought a, I had three beautiful prized orchids, and I bought another one impulse purchase from a big box store, and boy, did it, it, you know, it it affected all of them. And I brought them outside, so that was inside, and then I brought them outside, and I I didn't do horticultural oil though. I just did. Um, I think insecticidal soap, and I tried a whole bunch of different things, like you said, like, you know, I thought being outside now in the air, it, you know, like, go away, mealybug, fly away, you know, kind of thing. And I I just couldn't do it. I I tried the, you know, rubbing alcohol and cotton ball and, and, uh, you know, and it, it would disappear from the plant, you know, it looked like you got it, like, it looked like you won. And then two weeks later, it's like, poof, it's back. So it, it, and I had to, I had to throw all four away and I was so sad. And, yeah, and,
2: and you're reminding me actually, Joanne, that that especially with mealybug, these, these critters hide on plants or mm. uh, pots and, oh, okay. they on, oh, and they hide on, oh, hundred percent. And they hide on accessories you might have in the pots, you know, like oh, okay. you might have a, a cute little topiary thing and yes. or something. Th- and they will be all over that, oh, and okay. and you don't even sometimes. I actually there's, there's a picture in the um there's a picture in the book from a plant that was outside that had a, a large, uh iron, you know some cha cha thing that I had mm-hmm. in there, just outlined in mealy bug. I mean I I, I could lose my gardener's license over <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> but but I think people don't think about oh, yeah. the pots that they're in. You yeah. Turn that pot upside down look underneath that
1: pot oh, yeah. um,
2: look around the edge up underneath the edge of the plant and uh, of the pot, of the plant pot and, and wipe those down really really well and if you have a severe infestation it's really best to change that pot out okay. uh, not do too much root damage but the, you know these are things you all know you guys are yeah. professionals um, but you know aphids like I said it's not as big of a deal mealy bug you're going to want to shoot yourself, kill the mm-hmm.
0: plant, oh, burn the house
1: down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I I I saw that you had the little finial there. Yes. And I honestly, because I was just just looking at it, it's like, oh, yeah, and look, there's like, you can see the little webbing, and I guess it's not as fine in the picture, so it might have been just like a normal spider, maybe, that went over it, because it looks, so I was like, oh, yeah, look, she's a little finial, and there's some spider mites crawling around, or, or you know, moving between things, and then you just said mealybug, and then I looked at it again, I thought, oh, I thought that was the natural rusting, or the paint, yeah, like detailed, like it's aged, I was like, "Oh my goodness!"
2: <laughs> yeah, it was rustic.
0: <laughs> oh yes, I see that now too. Oh my goodness. Well, and I think about that with orchids because, yeah, the orchids usually have the stake. Like as much as I must have cleaned the plant and the pot, I'm pretty sure. But if it was on, like you know, because often there little there was a little stake in the orchid plant with like the little, little you clip, know little clip yeah. and stuff. So if anything was hiding, yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so, th-
2: so those are things to think mm. about, but they should not stop people from bringing them in and, yeah. uh, uh, it, you know, uh, bringing in houseplants or mm-hmm. bringing, uh, I'm sorry, bringing, bringing their houseplants outdoors, right. uh, because I am always just so surprised when I meet people who go, Oh, we, we you, oh, you wouldn't want to do that. You'd bring pests in. And I think, are you telling me you've got houseplants and you don't have pests? Mm-hmm. And you never That's true. have
1: pests? Yeah. I mean,
2: you've got plants, you've got pests. It's a question of keeping that very balanced mm-hmm. um, and and not letting it turn into an infestation. And yeah. and the plants, your 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 instincts are hundred percent right, Joanne, to get that plant outside and you know, and, and let some of nature take over too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's predators outside mm-hmm. that that love to eat those aphids. Um, there's, uh, just increased ventilation makes a big difference. Uh, all these different things when, yeah. uh, spider mite love dry air. That's mm-hmm. why they, that's why I would never grow a banana in the green in my house because within a month it will look terrible with spider mite. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, okay.
2: And it, and why do it when I can cut all the leaves off? put it into put the roots into a bag and put it into my garage and not pay any attention to it until I need to bring it back out again in the spring.
0: Wow. So how quickly would that leaf out again then when you brought it back out in the spring?
2: It's actually pretty remarkable remarkable um really? i if you there is a, a a couple pages um in the book about bananas and i go into detail about the red abyssinian banana which is a, a, as an ansetti not a musa and they look let's say rough i think that's <laughs> <the best. laughs> a rough um, i'd say for the first 3 to 4 weeks uh no that that's too long i'd say about the first 3 weeks um and then they're putting on new foliage fast and by june in my climate probably just a little bit later in june for you guys um you've got a plant that's making a significant contribution to the garden by july you've got a plant that is almost is the garden It's you know so beautiful um it's it's extraordinary how quickly they go from looking um rough (laughs) and and you know what that's all in the book the book is not just about pretty it's not just about pretty oh look pretty pretty look at this beautiful banana it shows you those poor scalped creatures Mm -hmm. and what they look like when they come out because what I tend to do with mine is uh in sort of uh I would say very very early spring this is for us you know around end of March I am potting I'm taking that that banana out I'm putting it into a large plastic pot with soil so it can start to create stabilizing roots and I then put I'll then put a light over the top of it in the garage you don't have to do this step I do it to just try and uh, get it going a little faster okay Um, I'll do that for two weeks and then by that point it's pushing up two or three leaves that are very um uh, what, it, what's the word The malnourished, anemic.
0: That's oh, okay. One. Okay.
2: Because it's not quite enough light for it. Yeah. Then I'll bring those out and I'll put them into that shady position, um, so that they can start to realize what the real world looks like. Mm-hmm. And they've got those nice stable roots and those will sit there for about a week and then they'll go out into the garden and some of the newer leaves will scald a little bit, but that's okay. These are quick, very yeah. quick growing. They're going to push out new leaves, um, and you can skip that whole middle step and just wait until it's warm outside and you, then you can bring them out and put them directly into the soil. The reason that I put them into pots first is because I value those stabilizing roots. It's a larger uh, root ball. right? And so it's not so tempted to fall over in a windstorm or do a mm. uh, wonky and I don't have to stake it. Okay. But, but You can 100% do it the other way if you wish. Just make sure that you've got a couple stakes on each side um, to hold it in place for a little bit um, until it can put those roots down.
1: Very cool. Well, now I want to try one of those. That species of banana <laughs> yeah <laughs> me really too they're,
2: they're, there's no going back with those uh, I, I i usually have four or five of them in my garage um uh, that mine are about six years old now but that is also their problem is the girth starts to get bigger mm, and bigger yeah. so this plant that was a best friend because it was just so darn easy now is a very serious high maintenance partner they are you know probably about 50 kilos Uh, I'm I'm trying to get them into my truck and get them up to the garage (laughs) so so this year I just kept one gonna
0: start with smaller
2: smaller plants again but they they put on six feet in the season
0: it's extraordinary It's amazing. And I do want to reiterate to our listeners about the book. Like you said, it's not just a pretty tropical uh, picture book. You know, um, Marianne has done a fabulous job of really – practical advice and you, your photos match you know when it, kind of what you're talking about so this is really a resource guide I mean it's it's excellent so I think for especially for whether you're a new gardener uh, a new to houseplants or experienced gardener and new to bringing houseplants outside into the garden uh, it's definitely a very valuable book so I, d- I definitely want to speak to that like you know you mentioned it in passing it's not just a pretty book and it's it is beautiful the books are the pictures are beautiful but um, you know it's very practical Practical, and I think that's really important to highlight.
2: Yeah, it was a thank you very much. I appreciate that. It was important to me to be honest mm. with people. I, I really mm. want them going into this with their eyes wide open, um, not feeling like, oh, I messed up. Mine doesn't look like that. Um, I, I want them to to realize the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and, and realize that all of those three things are possible and mm-hmm. often part of every plant experience. And it's so exciting when it's, when it's beautiful, it's beautiful. I mean, the, yeah. these plants just rock the summer garden. Um, and that is during a period for us, uh, especially down here in the mid Atlantic, we're very humid, uh, all of our spirits are flagging by august Mm -hmm. uh we're tired drinking Mm -hmm. a lot of rum punches (laughs) trying to keep trying to keep the motivation high and um, these plants just push through that season they respond to it and so they can be that that sort of driving engine that can then reinvigorate all the other plantings that you have that are Mm -hmm. you know that are doing well um, but needed a zest, right? They right. needed a punch. And, and that's what I really love about them is okay. they respond to the Jumanji part yeah. <laughs> of, of the summer and yes. they respond well, you know, they yeah. settle in. That's when the dahlias are coming out. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I, it, that's what makes them worthwhile.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I think too, it would maybe help people Because often as a garden designer, you know, people want flowers, like when they think of gardens, and they want their help, my help with their garden, they want to focus on flowers, which is fine. I mean, I love, you know, my hydrangeas, everybody knows how much I love those and, and flowers. But everything looks better if with an evergreen or with a a structured plant next to them and and not necessarily and and so I think of you know when you talk about the sansevieria like my mind is just popping about where because you know we use ornamental grasses but they can be kind of wimpy and they can be kind of problematic sometimes (laughs) and they can be a little you know depending on which ones you use so the thought of in a certain way like even with um, a water feature next to a water feature or along around a pond to be able to have something as structural and as, you know, uh, reliable, really, because you know what you're getting, right, with a sense of area, and it would be happier outside. So I, I just think it really has really changed my mindset. Um, you know, when you, you need to balance it, you know, there's the big movement with native plants and plants for pollinators. So I mean, it's all about, um, you know, the whole ecosystem that you're creating. And, yes. um, and, and there really is can be a great Uh, place for those types of plants, uh, tropical plants in our gardens.
2: Absolutely. And I like to use them specifically in young gardens Mm. because they give you that structure that immediacy while your other temperate shrubs are still little babies because remember i'm a (laughs) cheapskate i've got little tiny shrubs that are are getting bigger and Mm -hmm. then you can slowly move out so that you maybe you have a real tropical looking area of your garden which has got all these baby temperates underneath it getting bigger and then then it's slowly morphing into more of a temperate garden with just a few tropical accents they can do that because they're so architectural and they and and, you know you were saying our ornamental grasses i think ornamental grasses some of our temperate ornamental grasses pair so beautifully with the strong Mm -hmm. forms of the foliage of tropical and subtropical plants Mm -hmm. because they soften those lines and and hydrangeas Mm -hmm. paniculatas particularly they 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 give that sort of frill and fun along with that bold foliage and you add a grass in there that's the holy trinity it is absolutely beautiful
1: We are reaching the last four or so minutes of uh, the show. Uh, So I think it's time to kind of wrap up. But I think we've had a a wonderful conversation. Um, Lots of amazing information. Thank you so much, Uh, Marianne. I think our listeners are probably going to be asking and wondering, where can we find this amazing book?
2: Well, um, it is available at all uh, all booksellers online those you know those big ones the Barnes and nobles the amazons it's hopefully available at your local bookseller check there too if you want an autographed copy i am very happy to to do that you can find that at my website www.smalltowngardener.com and i'd be very happy to send you a personalized message or to somebody that you know i'm happy to do that too but you can find it through all of those and if you do get it on some of the big um on, on some of the big sites please leave a review for the book uh, okay. because those are so helpful for other people finding it
1: yes they definitely are yes for sure um is there anything else anywhere else our, our listeners might be able to find you are you on social media uh, beyond and uh,
2: limited, but I'm there. Um, <laughs> I've got a big garden to take care of. Yeah. Um, I'm, on in, I'm on Instagram at small town gardener. And I'm on Facebook at the small town gardener. Okay. And you can find me writing at gardenrant.com, uh, which is a lot of fun. I heartily recommend it to people um, yeah. who've got a lot of how to do stuff. And now they want to know the why to and the stories and the fun and the the rants and uh, that type of thing. And I also write a column, uh, an opinion column for the American Gardener. The, uh, um, it's the American Horticultural Society's flagship magazine. So that's where you can Good. find me.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And that'll all be in our show notes as well. So that's perfect.
1: Exactly, lots of great places to find and learn more from Mary Ann. So thank you so much for for joining us on the show and taking us through your latest book, Tropical Plants and How to Love Them on this uh, Valentine's Day evening. We hope you all have a wonderful night. Um, Just quickly looking ahead on uh, some of our upcoming shows, tune in next week. We are going to repeat Uh, our show, uh, Dave's Airplant Corner with David Lynn. He will rejoin us on the show. Don't forget he can ship his plants to all of you. So check out that repeat as well. And then we're going to round out our houseplant month with our one of our popular Ask Us Anything episodes. So get your questions ready uh, and uh, send them here to instudio101 at gmail.com Don't forget you can also So, uh, if you have more questions about uh, for Marianne, sorry, about tonight's topic, you can also write us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. And don't hesitate to reach out to Marianne uh, directly. You can find her again at www.smalltowngardener.com with all of our social media links there and uh, a way to purchase directly this fantastic. Uh, very informative, fantastic resource. Uh, I know it's got a spot on my shelf for sure. So (laughs) thank you. you. And thank you again for joining us here on the show. So I think that wraps us up for this evening. Thank you everybody for tuning in to uh, Down the Garden Path here on Reality Radio 101.